love technology. I just had an entire sermon disappear. <laughs> this will be fun. All right. We're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus today. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, being bigger than any situation that we are ever involved in, God. And I just I always pray that we just remain faithful. God, you tell us to do the going, to be your vessels. God, you're always going to do the heavy lifting, Father. And just I pray that we trust in you, Lord. I know, I know that's something that grows over our walk. But God, I pray that we're maturing in that. I pray that we're, we're clothing ourselves with Christ. God, that we're, we're pouring ourselves in, as Peter says, to make every effort. God, that we're, we're doing the things that we're, we're asked to do out of Scripture, God, so that we are, are growing in the faith, that we're maturing, that we have a greater impact. And I pray that we're just aware uh, of, of who's around us, God, and where you're working. And, and God, give us a boldness to share and to just be obedient, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing in so many ways, and most of all, in Jesus. And so grateful to be able to talk about him today. We love you, and we thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Lyndon, I'm glad you got the scriptures, because that's what I'm going to go by. So when you bring them up, I'm reading them. Uh, so I want to I talk about Jesus today, and we're going to be uh, talking about that for a little while. We're in the Gospels right now in our reading and I'm excited about that. And uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Yay, Merry Christmas. Uh, he's here. And Jesus has this incredible life and this incredible ministry. And so instead of just walking through uh, chronologically, I'm kind of going to uh, talk about some ideas and bounce around the Gospels a little bit. So I may get ahead of us a little in the reading. I may jump backwards to some things uh, we've already read, especially since I've been kind of hit and miss with me being able to share and so one of the things I want to kind of just set the, the tone for is that Jesus was a miracle worker. Um, he was, man. Uh, Jesus was a miracle worker. So I want to just quickly uh, glaze, not glaze over this, like we're not going to pay attention because it's super important. Um, but we're going to talk about what miracles are, what purpose they had, and why did Jesus do these things, and do they still happen today? Right? Those are good questions. Okay? And uh, so miracles uh, are an extraordinary ordinary event, right? Extraordinary, something God has to do that happens in our hearts, minds, body, or the natural world that could not have happened if it were not for God. Supernaturally moving in some way, okay? So not our effort, not something we have done, but something that He has done, and, and it impacts some ordinary process of, of natural cause and effect. And so God comes in and, and and does his thing, and there's something. To, in layman's terms, how I would say it is something crazy happens that is way bigger than anything, I, and it couldn't have happened without God, right? So uh, a miracle is something God does, and he does it through people sometimes. And so the purpose of a miracle is to bring God glory. It's to bring God glory, just like our purpose is to bring God glory. And God uses miracles to validate the message that's being shared, or to validate the messenger that, hey, I, I sent this person, right? And so uh, he uses these miracles, and miracles didn't happen all the time, you know? We, we've been reading through the whole Bible, and it's like, hey, you know, each week we, we're, we're digesting a few miracles maybe, or some, some big things. Don't forget the spans of time that are in there sometimes, you know, they're long, Right, we just ended the Old Testament, started the New Testament, and there was this 400-year period of nothing. Right, nothing. America's not even that old. Right, so like, 
that just didn't happen all the time. Um, it, it was kind of a more of a rare thing, honestly. And so depending on how you count, there was about 160-ish miracles, and Jesus did most of them. Okay, he did a whole lot. Um, a lot of them revolved around him. Uh, Psalm 77 says, <laughs> I cry aloud to God. I, I want you to, to hear this uh, because there, there's something that happens for us. We're going to come back to this. We'll, we'll end with the, we'll begin with the end. Like we've all had a time where we've cried out to God and we needed the miracle, right? And maybe or maybe not. It might not have happened. Where was God? Now, I want you to hear this from the psalmist in 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. I could do the Selah. I like doing that. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased and his promises at an end for all time? Has, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Say, It goes on to talk about the old miracles, right, in, in Psalm 77. But what he's writing here, he's like, hey, I'm in need. Has God forgotten me? Is God not remembering me? I'm crying out, and I don't see the miracle, right? And I think at some point in your life, uh, I imagine if we went around the room, we've all been there, man. We've all had times of just desperation, of things falling apart. Things are way out of our hands, and we see it, and we're crying out to God, um, for help, and, and where was he, you know? And as a human, that's a, that's a, that's a struggle sometimes, you know? Um, but God uses his miracles uh, to validate his message and his messenger. I think about Moses, you know, getting sent to Pharaoh, right? And, and he goes in there, and I mean, could you imagine if God didn't validate him? <laughs> Let my people go! No! Okay. <laughs> that would have been the end. It probably wouldn't have been included in Exodus, but no, God shows up and does some mighty, mighty things, right? And validates his messenger and his message. Um, so why do miracles, why did Jesus do miracles? Um, one, to prove uh, who he was and that message was from God. John 3, 2 says, This man came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is within him, all right? So Jesus is doing these miracles, and it's to prove kind of who he was and his message and validate it. Matthew 16, 1 through 4 says, Nothing. <laughs> I might be able to look it up faster, honestly. Sorry about that, folks. Good old technology. It's all good. It says, uh, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. That's what they like to do. And they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to him except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. How many times, right? I've heard it. I've heard people say, if Jesus, if God would, if they would, if I saw this, I would believe. Really? Jesus said, get just through feeding like thousands of people. And the Pharisees still show up and be like, we need to see a sign. What? We're no different. Don't think that you are. We're not. Right? And we just got through reading all these huge miracles that happened in the Old Testament. What happened to the people? They forgot. How could you forget that stuff, right? But we do because we're human beings and we just do it. And Jesus is like, no sign's going to be, I'm here, you know? And, and we kind of stand behind that sometimes of just, if, if God would just, and we cling to that. Um, it proves, the miracles prove that he is God. Again, validating uh, who Jesus is. John 6, 26 through 31 says, uh, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because I gave you your happy meal. Right? We love to be fed. I'll prove it to you. I guarantee you the highest attendance, except for Easter this year, is meal days at church. Without question. You can, you can take that one to the bank. We have the highest number of attendance every time we do a meal. Because people are getting their happy meals, man. I love everybody in here, but let's just be real for a sec, right? Man, it's meal day. There's going to be... Why don't we think that about the Word of God? Ah. But meal day, I mean, Meemaw can cook a chocolate pie, right? Her chocolate pie isn't better than Jesus. It's not, okay? It's not. But we're just like them. Because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, has, who he has sent. That you believe in him who he has sent. And they said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And, and the, the trouble here, what I want you to catch is they're comparing Jesus to Moses. And Moses did a lot of cool tricks, right? I'm not trying to be what called tricks, right? God was using Moses. But Moses was just a what? A prophet, a messenger. That's right. So why isn't Jesus the same thing? And they're kind of accusing him of that. We want to see the next thing, Jesus. Show us, because Jesus is making some pretty big claims, right? He's not just a prophet. It's a lot bigger than that. A lot bigger. <laughs> Down in verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, mm. but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Isn't that like people? We follow a leader and not God, right? We'll stand behind a rally cry and some exciting move, and a lot of times it's not really God in us. We're following someone. And we need to be following him. We need to be following Jesus. Jesus Christ with all of our life. He's it. He is it. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life 
to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus is like, it's me. It's me. Right? And later he gets crazy freaky with the way he says it. He's like, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a bunch of people ran away. Right? Because they couldn't see, they didn't understand because they weren't seeking the bread of life. They were seeking the next meal. They were seeking the next, the next thing, sign, right? And we do the same thing. We, we want God to answer all our prayers and save us from every little thing. And Jesus is enough. He's enough. Mm. The miracles point to the Gospels. Luke 5. Verses 20 through 26, it says, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees, what? They began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, love how he does that, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things. Jesus was just going to forgive sins, right? The gospel, the good news. I came to forgive sins and redeem the lost. And they're like, well, who is this? And he goes, oh, you... You need a sign to validate that I can actually do this. Well, watch this. And he commands him to get up and rise and walk. The miracles point to the gospel. Jesus on the way uh, in Luke 8 to, uh, to Jairus' daughter. Um, and there's this event that happens in the middle. It starts in verse 42. It says, for he, had only, uh, for he had an only daughter and 12 years of age, and she was dying. So Jesus was going. And Jesus went, and the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Uh, and though she had her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Again, please, I mean, we've dug through this. Don't miss what's happening. She is unclean. She's unclean for 12 years. If you don't understand what that means, you need to go back and read all the Old Testament stuff about uncleanliness. She's an outcast. You want to talk about quarantine? Man, we struggled for like months, right? Twelve years of being considered unclean. Wow. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Woo! There's Jesus. And Jesus said, who... Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter, uh, hey, Jesus, everybody touched you, you know? The crowds surround you and are pressing in, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, mm, that's awesome. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
Where did the uncleanliness go? Where do our sins go? Jesus took it. He took it. Man. Jesus took it, and the miracle is that Jesus became everything that we are and never be everything, everything, everything he was. Do miracles still happen today? All right, this is a tough one because honestly, I've heard people define it in a way that the answer is really no. They don't, right? Because some people uh, define it in, in the huge terms of like global impact, big parting of the Red Sea moments, you know, things like that. Believe it's when God intervenes. So I would answer that question, yes. And I will never put God in a box. God can do anything, all right? He can do anything. And he asks us to pray and cry out to him. And, 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 and we've talked about that. There's, for, for some reason and all of that, like he hears our prayers. And he moves as he's going to move. God is God. And I have seen things that I cannot explain to you. So yes, I absolutely believe miracles still happen today. Jesus saved this wretch right here. Miracle. You didn't even know me then. Trust me. Miracle right here. <laughs> miracle. Get my mom up here. She's like, oh, miracle. You know. <laughs> I do think miracles still happen today. God, again, he, he answers our prayers. Jesus, though, is greater than any miracle. And here's the deal. Um, because all the people who experience the miracles are dead. All the people who saw all the cool signs and wonders, they're not alive anymore. Jesus is greater than any miracle. I was thinking about Lazarus. You know, Lazarus is still dead. Uh, he was raised from the dead, but he's still dead. And sometimes I think our desperation for the miracle, what, fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, opens us up to be tricked, honestly. We're looking for the sign, right? And there's a whole bunch of people, and we could generalize here and put some big ones out there that we know about, but th there's some that too, but like the prosperity gospel, right? That's not the gospel. It's just not. But there's a lot of people that fall for it. Why? Because they want to see the miracle. And if you'll just pay enough, if you'll just do this, you won't be in poverty anymore. You won't, or the, the big mass healing things that go on sometimes, or, mmm. We want the miracle more than we want Jesus sometimes, if we can just be honest. We want saved from whatever condition we're in, whatever moment is going on, whatever quick fix there is. I know, I feel it too. I've prayed for things like that. I, I want to see God work and do amazing things and bail me out sometimes. If God would just do something in my life, brothers and sisters, He did. <laughs> he did. He did the greatest miracle of all. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. Mm. Just real quick, I want to talk about just the story of Lazarus. Um, and uh, it's found in John 11. And it says just, just six things to kind of take away from the story of Lazarus uh, real, real fast. There was a certain man... Uh, it says, now a certain man was ill, right? So we know Lazarus was sick. We don't know what he had. I have no idea. But Lazarus was sick, for sure. Uh, 
Lazarus' family sent for help. In, in verse 3 it says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Right? So we know that Jesus loved Lazarus. And they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, sick, we need you. Right? And uh, so Jesus' response is found in verse 6. He doesn't go. Wait, what? It's Jesus. These are his friends. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He ran quickly to him. No, it says he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Hmm, interesting. And Jesus, uh, this, this behavior is called love, right? It says now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, right? So he loves and love, we can say it, but it's an action, right? And so here Jesus is loving them by not showing up to do this healing, Again, I think we've all been there. Praying for a loved one that, that has cancer or some disease or something's going on. Um, you know, I know shared Shay and I went through several miscarriages and praying through those things. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't know, just keep filling in the blank. There's just so many things that surface that we go through difficult times and we're crying out to Jesus and we know He's capable, you know, and they knew that He was capable and in verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Mm. Again, we're going back to the purpose that we are here. It is to bring glory to God. This life is very temporary. Very temporary. And, and there's something obviously bigger coming. And even though Jesus decided to let Lazarus die, in verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, right? We used to memorize it as kids to get little points to earn stuff. But Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We know Jesus shows up and he speaks and Lazarus comes back to life. But Jesus, what I want you to take from this story is that Jesus walks through the brokenness with us. He walks through it with us. We're not alone. Uh, he is in the middle of it with us, but Jesus is better than any miracle. He is better than any of it. Any sign, any rescue, because he's done the ultimate rescue in saving us from our sin. We get to have eternal life with him. The miracle of the gospel is that Jesus became temporal so that we could become eternal. He had a ministry. God became flesh. The worst thing that can happen to you isn't death. The Bible says to die is gain. John eleven twenty five through 26 says, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Mm. And we've got to ask ourselves uh, that question today. Um, you know, I love the miracles of Jesus, but one of the things that I, I cling to is just how incredible of a teacher that Jesus was. Um, he amazed me uh, with how he taught. John 1, 
1 through 5, says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was the very Word of God, the very idea of God in the flesh. Hebrews 1 uh, one through two says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus used a lot of words. I, I, I love uh, reading through the gospels and just getting to hear the things Jesus shared uh, to communicate to us. He was a master at communication and he used common language, man. We're Jesus was pretty smart, right? And he could have talked way above our pay grade, but he didn't. He kept things pretty common. And you know, he was known, even in a secular way, he was known as a teacher and a rabbi. All right, even, even for people who don't recognize him as, as God. And he spoke in such a compelling way that people just followed him around all the time just to hear what he was going to say next, right? He just had this thing about him. Um, there's this guy named Thomas Jefferson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's one of our founding fathers, Constitution guy, Declaration of Independence. And uh, I, I don't know that he ever got to a point where he claimed Jesus was God. I think he was a deist. Um, but he wrote this about Jesus. And, and I wanted to share it with you because he doesn't think of Jesus the same way I do. But this is what he still said about him. Jesus communicated his systems of morals to us, which is the most perfect and sublime that has ever been taught by man. Jesus' moral teachings were more pure and perfect than those of the most correct of the philosophers and greatly more so than those of the Jews. And they went far beyond, uh, beyond both in, in, incul, inculcating, that's right, universal philanthropy, not only to kindred and friends, to neighbors and countrymen, but to all mankind, gathering all into one family under the bonds of love, charity, peace, common wants, and common aids. The precepts of philosophy and Hebrew code laid hold to, of actions only. But Jesus, in his teachings, pushes his scrutinies into the heart of man, erected his tribunal in the region of the man's thoughts, and purified the waters at the fountain head. That's a pretty big thing to say about Jesus from a guy who didn't recognize him as God. Jesus was an incredible teacher. In fact, it's one of the things that, that uh, you know, in a... In, like in an argumentative way in a debate that people use, you can't say he was a great teacher because he claimed to be God, right? So he's either crazy or, or he's right, you know? And so that's one of the things people use, but he was considered a great teacher. Um, the kind of teacher that Jesus was, he was smart, he was authoritative, he was compassionate, and he lived it out. Um, he was intelligent and wise, right? Of course, he had the advantage of being God. That helps a little bit. Um, he was a part of creation, and he knew the nature and thoughts of the people he made. Duh. And so, so many times, just like we read, like he would just, hey, I know what's in your heart right here, and he would just speak towards it because he knows us, right? He was involved in, in all of this. He knows all of history and scripture, and, and, uh, and he just, he knew this common, like the common sense of every day. And here's the truth. Jesus knows more than you. <laughs> he knows more than you. He knows more than I, Right? And I need to look to him to be my authority. And he, and he is the authority. Mark 1, 22 says, And they were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And again, here he's reflecting back to the teachers of the day, like the elite of the elite, and they're recognizing Jesus as being above that. 
hey, this guy has some kind of authority that's just, wow, you know? Jesus knew who he was, and he knew he, who he was speaking about, and it was the absolute truth, because he is truth. He is truth. John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 16-18, For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The God of the universe puts flesh on and dwells among us. Woo! It's good stuff, man. Jesus is walking around in the world that he created from that perspective. And so he is wise, he is authoritative, and we need to make sure we follow his example. And we need to know the Bible. Man, we just keep talking about this. If you're not spending time in the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God, you're missing it, man. You're missing it. We got to be in that. We got to know it. I always want us here at Cross Plains to teach the Word of God. I want us to stay in the Word, know the Bible, and let the Bible speak. Jesus was compassionate. Um, sometimes that gets overlooked, you know, but he shares stories. The Good Samaritan, right? We got the rabbi, we got all the religious people that pass by, and the Samaritan comes in and does all this incredible stuff and, and compassion, and Jesus has compassion. And, and, you know, he's asked, who's the neighbor here, you know? And uh, the two guys in the temple, right, that are praying, and they got the loud guy in the middle yelling out all his extravagant prayers, and then you got this tax collector in the, in the corner ripping his clothes and beating his chest and crying out to God. And Jesus is like, which one is getting it right? The tax collector, right? Um, Jesus had compassion, and he lived it. Man, he backed up his teachings with what he did. He didn't just, he didn't just preach it, man. He practiced it. And I hope I always stay that way. I hope you stay that way. We need to practice what we're saying. Uh, we need to put it into action. Jesus was this master teacher, and he just taught in, in so many impactful ways. And one of my favorite things, and this is kind of kind of be our, our, our landing spot, is the, is the question asker that Jesus was. Uh, he led people to the truth through questions. I love it. He was amazing at it. Um, uh, Socrates actually developed a system that's similar, and Socrates would, would ask questions, get people to ask questions to, to reveal what wasn't true. But Jesus asked questions to lead people to the truth, to lead them right to the truth. When he was confronted about, you know, they were always trying to trap him. And, you know, hey, do we, you know, do we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus is like, whose, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. All right. Well, then give to Caesar's what's Caesar's, but you give to God what's God's. We were bought with a price. We're God's. We're his image bearers, right? No, that wasn't just a coin. That was an awesome moment. Give to God who's God. Jesus asked, what father wouldn't, would give his child a bad gift? And he uses that to teach that God gives good gifts. He talks about the, the grass of the fields and the, the lilies. And it's like, hey, why would God not take care of you? He cares about that stuff. He's going to take care of you. I love when he uses humor or sarcasm. I know that might bother somebody. I'm not trying to be like, I mean, when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, why, the, why are you worried about the, the speck in your brother's eye when you got this log in yours? You know? What an image <laughs> to kind of get smacked upside the face with. And I love when he asks the disciples, hey, who, who do people say that I am? 
And they're like, hey, Elijah, and they're, they're going through all these names. And I want you to see what Jesus does here is because we do the same thing. When we ask a question, it's real easy to blame the church and the world, right, or my family, and Jesus always wants to bring it back to right here. And he says, hey, hey, well, okay, that's great. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's, Peter answers, you know, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And he asks the question, what is it, what is it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, right? We read that in the communion meditation. So here's Jesus, God in the flesh, using questions to show us that it's not about the world, but it's about the next one. He asks some 339-ish questions uh, in, in, in the Gospels there, and he told puzzling stories. We call them parables, right? And he would use these par- parables to teach the spiritually hungry people. And the people who weren't spiritually hungry, guess what? They didn't get it. They didn't get it. This is why he told parables, Luke 8, 4 through 10. It says, And when, the great, when a great crowd was gathered and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow the seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path, was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called, and he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Very important. That phrase is mentioned a whole lot in the New Testament. If you actually want to know, you can find. But you have to actually want to know. That's the the thing here. In verse 9, And when his disciples asked him, What's this parable mean? He said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But listen, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand, ears to ear, ears to hear, let them, let them hear. You have to want to seek him to find him. That's what the Bible says. And he promises that you will, right? If you're after God and not the next Happy Meal or sign or, or whatever, the truth is available. The truth is available in the form of Jesus Christ those who seek to know what God has revealed, to, has revealed, and those that really don't want to know, it's hidden. Because if you seek, you'll find. Where are we at in that? In verse 11, now this parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path who have heard it, who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, holds it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with its patience. We are called to bear fruit. We are called to mature. Um, I know people, this parable is about the soil, right? And I know people in all, all four soils. I've seen it over and over and over again. Jesus utilizes really teachable moments. He's, he's really the king. Uh, you know, as a parent, you ever had those moments with your kids and grandkids and you see something going on and like, this is a teachable moment, right? Um, Caden, we were going out the door the other day and it was cold and he wanted to wear this little thin jacket and his mom's like, get your head out. You know, she didn't say it like that. But, um, and Caden's like, I want to wear the thin one. And I said, let him go. He's going to learn a lesson. It's going to be great. You know? <laughs> so she's like, no, tell him to get his coat. And I was like, let it go. He's going to learn. 
He wants to fight. Let it. He'll learn, right? And so we, we want to take teachable moments and, and teach, teach our children. Um, Jesus was this living truth, living among common folks, stumbling around in the darkness. That's what the New Testament says about it. And we got, our, we got kids and young adults, and actually lots of people, not just kids, that are learning all kinds of things from TikTok. There's a great truth, right? And uh, like someone said it on TikTok. So, oh, yep, this is it, right? This is what I'm supposed to do with my entire financial portfolio because some person got on TikTok and made a graph. I've heard people say that. It's crazy. If you don't know what TikTok is, ask some of the younger people. Um, maybe from a friend, you know, I, our, we hear something from a friend and like, hey, this sounds right. And, and we take it. Or maybe from a teacher, a professor of, you know, there's professors at our colleges teaching that communism is great. Mm. And students are going out going, communism's great. And on paper, it actually looks pretty good, but it never works. And millions have been slaughtered in its name. But hey, it's great. And you got young adults believing this. And the truth is right here. And it'll set our free, it set us free. But the professor has the PhD, right? And the, oh, we gotta be careful. And sometimes as parents, we just need to look at them and go, that's stupid. Sorry, you're not supposed to say the S word in my house, but it's dumb. It's and, and we need to, and Jesus was so good at taking moments and teaching, um, teaching things. And could you imagine just Jesus, again, Jesus' perspective here for a minute. He is God in the flesh, and here's all these Pharisees and Sadducees and Jews who, who know the law. They're out there teaching all this stuff. Could you imagine? I told you a story about the parents because I want you to just get in the shoes for a minute. Jesus knows it all, and he's listening to all these people around him who know it all. And he's what? And he's trying to teach them, and they've, they've, they've sold out for a, a, a watered-down version of things. He's like, I'm right here. I'm the bread of God. I'm the bread of life. He even turns confrontations and to, to reveal incredible truth about him. He, you know, he goes into the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah, right? And, and everybody's like rallying behind him. And, and he's like, oh, you know, I'm the Messiah. And they're real excited about that because they think he's the Messiah that they want, which is, woo, we're going to bring Israel to the top, baby. And Jesus starts giving an example of the, of the prophets that reached out outside of Israel wait a minute. And then he reveals that he came to the world. And now they want to kill him. Right? Because now it's not about our kingdom anymore. And I got my own agenda and I want to do my own thing. And they try to kill him. He's like, ah, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to walk through here and see ya. <laughs> he just walks out. He stood before Pilate, the governor, John 18, 37 through 38. Then, then Pilate said to him, so are you a, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, he'd fit in great in our world, what's truth? <laughs> what's your truth? After he'd said this, he went back outside the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. The truth was sitting right in front of him, man. Right in front of him. Jesus baited people into into things like he did things on the Sabbath just to like get underneath the skin of, of people who had made up rules, right? We're so bad about making up rules. We all do it. Like we make up our own rules and, and project them as doctrine, Bible and all this stuff. And Jesus is doing stuff on the Sabbath and, and he confronts the people who are mad at him. He's like, hey, if you had an animal fall in the well, are you not going to rescue it? But you care, you don't care about this person who I could heal on the Sabbath. And, and don't, 
and I don't want you to think Jesus was breaking God's law, the elders had made up things to protect the Sabbath, and now they were enforcing them in a way that wasn't, that wasn't God. And Jesus says, I am the Sabbath. Find your rest right here. Mary and Martha, Jesus eating at their house. The disciples are there. Martha's in the kitchen. Just, just pay attention to this story for a minute. She's in the kitchen. I'm sure she's got sweat and flour all over and stuff going every which way. And where's her beloved sister who shouldn't be in there helping? You ever been there? And she's sitting on the floor. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you. You know, I bet that's how she felt. I'm doing all the work. And you're just sitting there. Man. And she cries out, Jesus, tell her, tell her to get in here and help me. There's a lot to do. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. Anxiousness, troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken from her. The widow, given the offering. You imagine they had these big copper basins and everybody throwing the money in, clang, you know, like, you know, we walk in with my big purse. And, have you ever done those change counter things? And like, just, just like this huge noise. And the widow. Tink. Tink. And Jesus stops everybody. Hey, she's given more than all of you. Because she gave everything she had. Jesus all these moments to teach. This is where we're ending. Jesus gave unforgettable sermons. There are about 25 like, discourses in the New Testament where he, uh, we have this. Some of them are sermons, some of them are conversations, some of them are prayers. His longest sermon, most noted, Sermon on the Mount, um, the famous one, it's at the height of his popularity. He goes to the top of the mountain and sits down. That's what the teachers did. Everyone got quiet and he began to speak. And it says he opened his mouth, and this is just a, a, a Jewish idiom right here to talk about. This is from the bottom of my heart. This is deep. This is serious. We're about to get into it. And he spells out God's expectation and, and what his expectations are really like. Matthew 5, 17 through 18 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away, pass from the law until all is accomplished. I got to do all the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And, and he fulfilled all the ceremonious temple things, Sabbath stuff, right? He did that. That was Jesus. Um, but the moral law remains. Uh, it didn't go anywhere. We got, we got, uh, I don't even know what I wrote down there. It doesn't even make any sense. So let's skip over that. <laughs> uh, he raised the bar, right? He, he goes through thing after thing and said, hey, you, you're saying this, but God's expectation is up here, Right? Matthew 5, 19, uh, starting in verse 19, says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Please remember who he's talking to. There's a lot of common folk right here. Those were the religious elites. And they're like, what in the world? How did they, we have to surpass them? Verse 21, you have heard that it said in the days of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Oops. Whoever insults his brother will be, oops, will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, oops. Mm. I know none of y'all have ever done that. I have. I'm sorry. I just need to confess that. 
will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering the gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Least your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You pay the judgment. He goes unto lust and says, hey, it's not just about committing adultery. Because, you know, like, hey, maybe that wasn't difficult for you. And you can, oh, I hadn't done that one. Wait a minute. If you've ever looked at anyone in a sexually sinful way called lust, oops. Oops. And then Jesus says, cut your right eye out. Mm. Tear it out. Throw it away. Tough stuff. Retaliation. Verse 38 and 39. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, don't resist the evil one. What? But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, hit the other one. Love your enemies. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And he finalizes, he sums it all up in verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect. Go home. (laughs) Because ain't none of us done that. None of us done that. I'm out. How do we do this? This sounds impossible. Because it is impossible. It is impossible. We're going to look back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. When you listen, we'll close in prayer. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. That's a tricky word. Prayus or or praus is the is the word there, and it's, it, it really means a wild animal that is broken and surrendered to a master. I think of a wild Mustang getting brought, like that's a pretty good uh, analogy, okay, uh, of, of, of meek there. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on account on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Mm. What's he doing here? Blessed, blessed, blessed. I want the blesseds. I love blessings from God, right? And, and he lays out this plan, this process for us to grow in our maturity right here in the Beatitudes. It means that where God is, you are completely satisfied in him. Blessed are you when, you're, when you start spiritually bankrupt, <laughs> right? Like that's where we got it. We got to come to the end of ourselves and cry out to God and know that he needs us. Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount again. Read through the Beatitudes. I'm almost 45, and every time I read through the Bible, man, I learn something new. Every time. It's a pretty intense moment going on. John 6, 66 through 69, and we're done. After this, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. How are you and I going to respond to Jesus' words? Are we going to seek him 
Are we going to walk away like so many have? Are we going to follow the truth? Are we going to seek the truth? Are we going to settle for some watered-down version and looking for a miracle, looking for some sign, some answer, when, when the bread of life is right there trying to give us life? We're going to stand and sing an invitation to him. I'm going to close with prayer. And uh, Jesus is enough. He's enough. Seek him with all your heart. Let's pray. Thank you again for your words, Lord. And I just pray that, that something in this message spoke to each and every one of us. God, I pray there's something in there. We take, God, that we go meditate on, on your word, Lord, and we allow you uh, to, to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that we might make an impact, that we might shine a light into the darkness, that we might do something, God. And this is, was never a, a spectator thing. We were supposed to be actively involved, God. And it's, it's in that involvement that you mature us, that you grow us. And so, God, I pray with all my heart, that we are doing our part, God. Thank you for doing yours. Lord, we, we continue to just pray for an impact uh, of, of cross planes in this community, God, of, of the other ministries and missions that, that we get to, to hear about and be a part of, God. We're just praying for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, brother.